Amen. Grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus Christ and welcome to worship at Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church. We are grateful that you have found your way to us through Facebook Live, Instagram Live, or perhaps even on our website or our podcast. We're glad you're here. If you happen to be a visitor finding us here in this space, we're especially glad that you're here with us. We know that these times continue to be uncertain and isolating for many of us. And we here at Selwyn are trying to find new ways to create um, space for us to belong and connect. If that's interesting to you and you'd like to learn more about our congregation, I invite you to reach out to me or to Margot um, and learn more about our congregation so that we might learn more about you. A few notes about worship today. We are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and it's not too late for you to take a moment and step away from your screen and find some grape juice or some wine and a loaf of bread or a nibble of a cracker and set your table for an abundant and joyful feast as we unite our hearts and our minds with all the saints through all time and space. Um, especially I would like to thank the people who are here leading us in worship today. Of course, Gay Pappen, our organist, and Fred Spano. Uh, the Thrashers, Maggie and Drayton, are here helping us with technology along with Eric and Sam, uh, and our very own good friend Mary, Darion Malone uh, is joining us, leading us in music this morning. Uh, Darion is a teacher and an educator at Marvin's Ridge um, High School. He's been very busy in that regard, and so we're grateful for uh, his, his willingness to share his gifts with us today. Today, after worship, between 12 and 1 o'clock, if you are a young person or a parent or a youth, that has a backpack or a Chromebook, and you would like to come and celebrate the blessings of the backpacks um, here at Selwyn, you're invited to drive into our large parking lot where we will have a drive-by blessing of the backpacks. And we'll also honor our Montclair partners um, by bringing food for their pantry as they get back to the year as well. Tonight at 620, if you are a youth between uh, the grades of 6th sixth grade to 12th grade, we will kick off youth group in a safe and enjoyable way on our front lawn at 620. You will need to bring your dinner, you will need to bring a mask and something to sit on, and it will be worth the effort for you to join us. Following youth group, um, outdoor worship will begin at 730 on our lawn. Also, don't forget your mask. Um, if you're in need of prayer or if there's something going on in your life that we can help you with or support you with, you're invited to reach out to me or to one of the pastoral staff so that we might be in touch with you. And last but not least, your offering and your gifts are vitally important to the well-being of our congregation and the mission of Selwyn Avenue. Please consider prepaying your pledge or making a pledge or a gift. Our text-to-give number is 704-734-9818. Now let's get to business and worship God. I ask you these. 
to the hills from where does my help come my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth he will not let your foot be moved he who keeps you will not slumber he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep the Lord is your keeper the Lord is your shade at your right hand the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night the lord will keep you from all evil he will keep your life the lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore where we realize our desire for God and our hope for God's mercy. It's in admitting the truth of our lives that we take the first step, step towards wholeness and healing. So let us together make our confession. Will you please join me in our unison prayer? Let us pray. God, we confess we do not always understand your ways. We are easily discouraged when life takes unexpected turns and our carefully laid plans and dreams come to nothing. We are quick to give up when things get difficult and quick to question your presence and power. Forgive us. Open our ears to listen for your gentle whisper. 
Grant us a sense of urgency and compassion when we hear those crying out in this world. Open our eyes to recognize your action in our lives. Grant us courage to step out in faith and obedience, trusting you even when we cannot yet see the outcome. Forgive us for all the ways we fall short and miss the mark. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Friends, hear these words of assurance from Romans chapter 8. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, believe in the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Amen. By the time Jesus hit the scene at the age of 30, his cousin John the Baptist had already paved the way. John the Baptist was a prophet, an advocate for God's glory, a public figure, a courageous social activist. John the Baptist was a warrior for justice and God's incoming reign. The Jews in Galilee lived with their backs against the wall, as they say. Most were oppressed and hungry and feared for their well-being every time a Roman centurion or guard walked by. And no matter what the social implication or risk, John the Baptizer stood firm in his conviction, saying what needed to be said, wearing what needed to be worn, eating what needed to be eaten in order to keep his convictions. He walked by faith and he spoke with courage. And this did not sit well with the power-hungry pseudo-king, puppet of Rome, Herod, and his new and secure wife, who just happened to have been his brother's wife before he stole her. At first, when John had the nerve to mention it was not a good idea to take your brother's wife, he ended up in jail. But then things went horrifically wrong in the midst of a gluttonous, drunken birthday bash honoring Herod when he ordered John the Baptist's head to be delivered on a silver platter. It was a feast of corruption and lying and deceit and greed and narcissism and even murder. Everything Jesus ever preached about happened at Herod's party. As the king of Wakanda said to his son when he was taking the throne, it's hard to be a good man and a king. And this is right when we pick up the story. We will find it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 12 through 22. This is the last of all of our summer preaching series, the greatest story ever told. Listen now for the word of God. His disciples came and took the body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down in the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, 
He looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. By the way, the women and the children were fed at the feeding of the 5,000. It's just that the men who managed the statistical report didn't bother to count them. So let the record state, anybody attending a church potluck dinner without women and children would starve. I don't care if Jesus showed up or not. So if the congregation on that fateful day was anything like our congregation here at Selwyn Avenue, 55% of the crowd were women, and then there were another 35% or so of children, which means like the crowd was more like 14,000 or 15,000. Speaking of women and feasts, when I was in college at Wake Forest in Winston-Salem, which now seems like a very, very long time ago, I had a friend who would occasionally convince me to go with him to the K&W cafeteria. I realize now our motivations were completely different. Jake, you see, was a man-child. He was 6'4 and perpetually hungry. And I went along because I liked his company and the idea of eating banana pudding and jello at the same meal. Now, anyone down here in the South knows that a visit to the K&W is a visit to an abundance of choice. And if you visit a K&W, somewhere in the western part of the state, there is a 90% chance some nice lady is going to greet you with a chorus of other voices with accents that are not too dissimilar to mine. Verse 1. Hey, honey, y'all come on in, grab a tray. Now, everyone knows to skip the salad unless you need a jello. And then, that's when the song really begins. Help you, serve you, help you, serve you. Chicken pot pie, chicken and dumplings, chicken fried gravy, chicken fried chicken, dark, white. Help you, serve you. Baked spaghetti, baked fish, chopped steak with an onion ring on top. Roast beef, help you, serve you. Mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, scallop potatoes, green beans, collard beans, mac and cheese, beets, coleslaw, cornbread, hush puppies, help you, serve you. Boston cream pie, pecan pie, chocolate pie, icebox lemon pie, key lime pie, apple pie, marshmallows that you can dip into a chocolate stream, and banana pudding. And last but not least, Sweet, unsweet, you can imagine Jake's tray. Now say what you want, but when you go to the K&W, you know what to expect. There is a system. It's predictable and orderly. The folks are nice, and the food is not fancy, but it's pretty good. And most of the time, even when we were college kids, we weren't too stressed about the bill, even with the piles of food on Jake's tray. Y'all remember? Y'all remember those good old days when we used to line up for meals together and fill our plates? Restaurants, family reunions, parties, weddings, funerals, church suppers, and potluck meals on the lawn. I cannot wait to line up the tables in the front of our church and fill them with fried chicken and pasta salads. Sometimes we bring food and gather for a meal in the midst of grief and loss. Sometimes we come together for a feast of celebration and joy. Sometimes it is a blessing and a comfort for someone else to prepare the meal and greet you with the gracious words, help you, serve you. But always, by God's design, every human on earth feels hungry and needs to eat three times a day in order to survive. And the feeding of the 5,000 embodies all of these things. Which is why I suppose this miraculous story is included in every single, of the, every single one of the four Gospels. According to this story, at least, 
Jesus will not allow us to separate things like religion or faithfulness or spirituality and discipleship from the care and the concern for the physical well-being of every single human on this planet. Which, at the end of a long day, I suspect was more than the disciples really wanted to consider. It had been a long day, beginning with the news of John the Baptist. John Lewis was a modern-day prophet. I know of grandparents and teachers and coaches and aunts and uncles who have recently passed away, and they were heroes of truth and love and grace. There's so much grief in the world, and it is exasperated by the anxiety created by our separation and our solitude. And perhaps our world really is smaller because we are forced to rely on our screens so much. Hours of learning, work meetings, Zoom meetings, all on screens, Netflix and doctor's appointments and even therapy appointments. There's more polarizing news. There are more shooting deaths. There is more pain. And we are trying to make sense of it all through our screens. An unexpected death of a black film star, Chadwick Boseman, the star of the mainstream mega-movie Black Panther, which is one of the only narratives created in the history of America's cinematic history to exemplify and center black achievement and culture. All of this is happening on screens, but somehow the way we feel, the interactions that we embody and have to deal with, they're felt deeply and they are layered on top of the everyday work of providing for our families, caring for ourselves and loved ones, homeschooling, and everything else in between. So yes, we understand what it means for the disciples to have had a long day. Jesus, it is enough already. You have been going and going and praying and praying and touching and healing. I do not blame the disciples for pointing out the obvious because that is what they were really good at, by the way. They were realists. First of all, Jesus, you need to take a rest and so do we. Second, it's about to get really dark and we were about to go grab a beer and call it a day. And third, these people need to go find themselves some food. Can you imagine the eye rolls when Jesus says, don't send them away. You feed them. Notice that he doesn't say, oh, all right, hold on five minutes and I'll do the manna thing. Or, well, maybe I should preach a word about fasting before we head out for that beer. He says, no, how about you, Peter and John and James and Nathaniel? Why don't you feed them? And you know their treasurer, Judas, is just doing the math. Are you serious? With what? There are five loaves and two fishes. And you know Thomas is just doubting that the entire thing is even possible. Jesus, this is a logistical nightmare. There are five thousands of them, not even counting the women and the children. We need a proposal, we need a, li we need a liability waiver, and a committee meeting, and a vote. Peter would have been ready to roll until he looked down at that empty basket with the two fish and thought better of it. What, are we nuts? That's impossible, Jesus. Look, Jesus, we've assessed the situation, and we have 5,000 reasons why it will not work. We do not have hand sanitizers. We have not been able to keep them socially distant. We do not have a health license to serve food. We've never done that before. What are we supposed to eat if we share our food? It's inconvenient, it's impossible. You have already forgotten, we do not have enough food. Well, isn't that what it really comes down to every time? I'm sorry, I can't help. I just don't have enough. Enough food, enough time, enough energy, enough money, enough faith, enough self-confidence. Let's just go home. Can you imagine all the, all the disciples would have missed out on if they'd packed it up and called it a day? Can you imagine all the joy and the love and the grace and the abundance that they experienced in their life together in that one moment in communion with God? They would have missed the entire thing. No, Jesus, I do not have enough. 
I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I'm on empty. There's nothing left. To which Jesus says, you know, just bring me what you have. Just go bring me everything you can find. Two coins, throw them in. Five loaves, let's see what happens. Two fish, just bring it. Let's try to do what we can with what you've actually got on hand right now. Because if you wait, not only will these people starve, but you are going to miss out on the essence of what it means to be alive and in relationship with our God. Jesus doesn't create new food. He guides the disciples to gather what already exists amongst themselves. Jesus says, bring what you have right now to address the needs of the church and those that we all see hurting and suffering right now. And the truth is that discipleship is rarely convenient or easy. It typically involves costing something and it's risky. Discipleship is risky because Jesus is always calling us to do more than we think we can or should. But the reality is, these crowds have already taken the real risk because their risk is a matter of life and death. You see, they had already left their homes searching and waiting and following Jesus all day, maybe even multiple days before they were traveling just for the chance of meeting Jesus. You see, their loved ones were suffering and ill. They were disenfranchised and without access to traditional methods of medicine. As Dale Bruner points out, the word in scripture to describe those in the crowd is unique to the story and it is translated as the wretched, the physically weak. Remember, John the Baptist, his head is on a platter. It's not like they could trust the authorities. Where else were they gonna go? There were well over 10,000 Galileans walking toward the place they thought and hoped Jesus would show up. And so there was no turning back. There was no buying some food in the marketplace after it was said and done. The crowd needed God's blessing and healing and nourishment. They were caregivers and parents or brothers and sisters. They were neighbors and supper clubs and friends. They were church members who had sacrificed all they had on behalf of those who needed to be saved in some way that they could not accomplish on their own. As Howard Thurman would say, their backs were against the wall. As he writes, Jesus was a member of a minority group in the midst of a larger dominant and controlling group. In 63 BC, Palestine fell into the hands of the Romans. After this date, the gruesome details of loss and status were etched line by line into the sensitive soul of Israel, dramatized ever by an increasing desecration of the Holy Land. To be sure, there was Herod, an Israelite who ruled. It was a sad and desolate time for the people. Herod became the symbol of shame and humiliation for all of Israel. There was one overmastering problem that the socially and politically disinherited always face, according to Howard Thurman. And it is under what terms is survival possible? You see, for the Jewish people in, Greco-Roman, in the Greco-Roman world, the problem was even more acute because it had to do not only with the physical survival in terms of life and limb, but also with the actual survival of culture and faith. And so Jesus enacts what John the Baptist talks about, and he says, do not send them away, help them, serve them, which somehow pierces our hearts and souls in a way that causes us to physically feel love for another person in a way that hurts. The Second Vatican Council of the Catholic Church once stated, feed the dying man of hunger because if you have not fed him, you've killed him. But this is not about guilt or obligation. It is about compassion. You see, Jesus shows compassion, which I suspect is what the church is called to pour out upon this broken world. 
It is what we as individuals are called to share with those we encounter in our lives and in our daily walks of lives, and yes, even the ones we need to go seek out. And if we can only imagine a God who shows up and provides on our own lawns for our own moments of grief and need and celebration and joy, then we don't believe in the greatness of God. One of our mission partners at Montclair Elementary School is Greater Enrichment Partners. They are a not-for-profit organization who provides after-school and summer enrichment for the care of children and families who attend Montclair Elementary School. Selwyn and GEP have been discerning and praying and planning to host 25 to 30 students twice a week in our fellowship hall. The students would receive all-day tutoring and guidance for learning and meals and care. Because we have the space in a completely renovated building, because the children of our Child Development Center and the children of Montclair can coexist without putting each other at risk in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, because we have plenty of room and space and heart and compassion, we are collecting everything we have we are looking for all of our resources and putting them in the basket to see what we're capable of. Every fish, every loaf of bread, and we are praying it is going to be enough. What is it about a God who chooses to engage a group of men, mind you, who are under-equipped, under-appreciative, under-motivated, and under-qualified for the work of salvation and resurrection and redemption. Only in the end, by grace alone, to turn a desolate field of wretched, hungry, strung out, wing-battered, weary and exhausted, poor Galileans into an abundant feast of wholeness and thanksgiving. What does it mean for you personally? What does it mean for our church, Selwyn Avenue? What does it mean for this broken and hurting world? Amen. Yeah.
of my God, attend me all my days. Oh, may your house be my abode, and all my work be praise. the empty tomb, our Lord and Savior has been virtual. He's experienced in real and tangible ways, but he is present to us only by the Holy Spirit. While many of us gather around our tables at home or on our porches, we have missed gathering together here at this table, the table where there is always room, an open table full of grace, and welcome and love. The table where we bring nothing but our true selves, our brokenness, our worries, our prayers, and by God's generous and compassionate sacrifice in Christ, this place where we are helped and we are served, we are fed with an abundance of fruit and grain. This is the table that provides bread and wine for the world. And through the waters of baptism, we are born into Christ's family. But this is the table where we are nourished and sustained as a family. Though we are baptized only once, in the Lord's table, we reaffirm our commitment to Christ, and God renews us with grace. This is a joyful feast for the people of God. And no matter where you are, as you prepare your table, please know it is a part of this table, an extension of sorts, and Christ is present and uniting us as one. Let us pray. Loving God, you are our creator and sustainer. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every, thing, of every living thing. And so we look to you whenever we are in need, trusting in your love and your abundant goodness. As you once fed the hungry crowds with five loaves and two small fishes, we ask again that you would fill those who are empty this day. Pour out your spirit onto all those who hunger and thirst. We pray for those who are physically hungry, whose stomachs are empty, those who are facing critical food shortages. Lord, in your mercy, open your hand, pour out your spirit so that they may be filled. We pray for those who are empty emotionally, who are lonely and long for companionship and love, who are caught in the grip of depression or are overwhelmed with grief. Lord, in your mercy, open your hand, pour out your spirit, so that they may be filled. We pray for those who are spiritually empty, who are troubled, who don't know where to turn, who long for purpose and meaning, but don't know where to look. Lord, in your mercy, open your hand, pour out your spirit, so that they may be filled. We pray for those who are sick and those who care for the sick, for those who long for answers, Lord, in your mercy, open your hand, 
pour out your spirit so that they may be filled. God, we praise you for your abundant gifts. Pour out your spirit on all of us. Fill us with compassion and love so that we would be willing to share some of our abundance with those who need. Lord, in your mercy, open your hand, pour out your spirit so that we may be filled. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, on the night of his arrest, Jesus sat around a table with the very same disciples who fed more than five or 10,000 people on that one day in that one field. And as he sat around the table, he took a loaf of bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Do so in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup and he poured it out, saying, this cup is a new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me remembering the boundless love revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We break bread and we share the cup, giving ourselves to God to live for Christ in joy and peace. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now we continue in thanksgiving and prayer. God of abundance, with this bread of life and cup of salvation, you have united us with Christ, making us one with all of your people. Now send us forth in the power of your spirit that we may proclaim your redeeming love to the world and continue forever in the risen life of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As we now enter into a time of offering, let us return to God the gifts of the earth and the offerings of our lives so that they might be used to bring abundant life to others. Our text to give instructions will be placed in the chat this morning, but that number once again is 704-734-9818. Friends, 
Let us give unto God. Below. 
no matter where you are, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what you've done or what you haven't done, you are loved, you are known, you belong to a God of abundant grace and infinite love. Carry that with you in your heart this week in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, now and forevermore. Amen.